Michael Shore, political correspondent for Al Jazeera America. Hey, Michael, good afternoon and welcome back. Happy Thursday. Leslie, happy Thursday to you. Good to be on. Good to have you with us. Um, uh, you, you know, we got to talk about this. We've got George Pataki jumping in, Rick Santorum, uh, uh, you know, uh, jumping in. I, first of all, I guess I should ask, like you did in your piece, are you keeping score at your home, Michael? I actually, yeah, well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm coming on the show to announce that I'm joining the GOP race for the presidency. No, no, no. I announced <laughs> that on, I, I announced this morning on Twitter that I was. <laughs> okay, well, listen, you know what? Since then, many others have joined. <laughs> Well, I think the question to ask now is who isn't running for president rather than who right. is. It, it, it's true. And um, and in fact, and when you look at the field, uh, it, you know, it, it's funny. This is a much more qualified GOP field than ran in 2012. Uh, when you look at the competition, when you look at who is there, I mean, even on the evangelical side, you see that there's competition for that segment of the vote. Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucuses, uh, barely, but he won them in 2012 against no real evangelical competition. This year he's got Mike Huckabee, who's already won Iowa. He's got Ted Cruz, who's going for that vote. And even Ben Carson is trying to appeal to them as well. You know, this is the largest number of Republicans that have run in a very long time, decades, right, for president? And what, you know, what do they get out of it, though, Michael? I mean, some people are saying some of these people know that they're, you know, I mean, George Pataki, does, doesn't he know he doesn't have, you know, a chance to win? I mean, I, th- I think some of the networks aren't even going to let them all on the stage for a debate. Right. Well, that's, you know, they, they have to earn, earn a right to be in the debate. You know, I, I think that they all, you know, it, it's not en masse that you can answer that question. All of them have different reasons for running. Uh, some of them are running for next time. Some of them are running because it's the last time that they can run. Uh, in the case of Pataki, I think it's, it's a, a combination. I mean, George Pataki, this is probably the last time that he could run for president, uh, but why now? Why didn't he do it before? Uh, he has to have seen the lessons learned by some of the others. You know, he's a little bit like Mitt Romney, although he has a strong record. The problem with his record is that it's a record that appeals to Democrats more than it does to Republicans. And, and that has been a problem for every sort of what we call a moderate Republican these days who's run. Yeah, mo- most definitely. Um, I, I, I just am trying to understand here. You know, somebody jokingly said to me, you should run, you would win. And I said, I'm only going to run if I know I have a chance of winning. Right. And, and, and I mean, some of these people, in my opinion, have no – I don't think Ben Carson has a chance in hell of winning. He doesn't. But, you know, Ben, ben Carson's – you know, the, in every uh, republic from Maury Taylor who ran in 96 to Herman Cain who ran last time, I mean, some wealthy people uh, and well-known people who are ideologues are going to run because they want to affect the message and they want that. And it is an ego trip as well. I mean, and, and there are rumors now – uh, next, you know, in the middle of June, Donald Trump is going to be making a major announcement on June 16th, and then on June 17th, he's going to New Hampshire. So then you're going to have another, you know, real distraction in the race. Uh, so some people do it to feed an ego. Uh, you know, in the case. Oh, wait a minute. Of- wait a minute. I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> I, I I'm not smoking weed, but that is so funny. Donald Trump having to feed the ego that he already has. I don't even think he realizes how funny well, that I mean, was. Like, you know, the bigger the ego, the more food. Needs, yeah, you know? that's true. It's got to feed the beast, feed the dragon. Yeah, you right? have to feed the beast. Yeah, um, but some of these are not usually driven by ego. I know you may laugh at me now, but I don't think 
I don't think Mike Huckabee's ego is as large as some people would think, really. No, but I also think that Mike Huckabee and the people around Mike Huckabee think that he can be president. They think that he could have done a better job against Mitt Romney last time and a better job than Rick Santorum did taking that space up. So while we may say, oh, my goodness, Mike Huckabee, he's a fundamentalist Christian, he's been a Fox TV host, he was also a popular governor of the state of Arkansas, and one of those has become president before. And and he does have sort of every man appeal uh, in certain parts of the country. So he believes that he can be president. So I don't think he's somebody who's on an ego trip necessarily. I, I you know I think that he believes there's viability to his candidacy. Carly Fiorina is in the race for another reason entirely. I mean I I don't think she really believes that she can be president. But what she has that none of the other candidates have is the sort of the Rick Lazio past. Rick Lazio is a former congressman who ran against uh, Hillary Clinton for Senate in New York and, and had a very difficult time attacking Hillary Clinton uh, as a candidate. And, and you know, the, the cover that Carly Fiorina gets by virtue of gender is something that none of the other candidates have. So she's in there for that reason, probably, because she can speak up against Hillary Clinton and she can earn something within her party so that she could be the Commerce Secretary or what have you. Well, I want to talk about uh, the two latest, Rick Santorum and George Pataki, because you did a great job of breaking it down and, you know, introducing us or reintroducing us to them for those of us that know them or may not have known certain things about them. And I know that you're going to be doing um, in, in your column, I think uh, tomorrow you're going to be doing and taking a look at Martin O'Malley, who is going to or expected to make a formal announcement uh, this weekend. And uh, Lindsey Graham is scheduled to be announcing, and also uh, Rick Perry, because the GOP field needs to be larger. Uh, right. so, and some of these that we know have been running are, are going to officialize, because they're right. going to have to eventually. Exactly. Um, let's talk about Rick Santorum. I like the way you start it, because you didn't talk about his agenda, but you started with his hope. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's – it's terrible to say, with all due respect, that's pretty much all he's got. Well, it, it, uh, it is. I mean, he has hope and he has a little bit of organization, and he has the fact that he hit a stride last time he ran. Uh, but he ran sort of uh, – he ran on the, the Reagan themes. He ran on the lower your taxes and, and, and you know, feel good about yourself. Now he's really talking about uh, – he's talking to workers. He's not talking to small business owners and entrepreneurs as much as he's talking about the people that may work for them. Uh, he's trying to make that be a, sort of a, a centerpiece to his campaign. But what he does have is he has a chance to do well in Iowa, and doing well in Iowa will put him on the map. He also has Foster Freeze backing him, a lot of money behind him, said, who was there last time, and said he'll be back for Rick Santorum this time. So he, he's well set up because of his organization and the fact that Iowa leads it off. If it were not for Iowa, he would not have any viability at all. I, of course, I don't think that he's going to you know, be a, a factor in, in 2016. And, you know, I apologize when I say you stand, you're probably going, what the hell is she talking about? Uh, Michael, they had sent, uh, my, my crew sent me a piece, and I had assumed that you had uh, written it. And I know you're a political correspondent for Al Jazeera, but I'm, yeah. I'm on radio and TV, and I also write blogs for the Huffington Post. You know, we're multi you know, tasking. Right. We're, we're all over. So. Yeah. We're media whores, you know, yeah. uh, you know, obviously. Um, in 2012, Rick Santorum's showing was actually pretty impressive. And I, I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah. You know, they don't, he won 11 states. He was the last man standing. He dispatched Newt Gingrich 
who had a little bit of momentum at the time when he was able to dispatch him. And, and you know, whatever you may say about Gingrich, he's formidable. Uh, he's a bright guy, and he's campaigned as a national figure in that party before. Uh, it was something that was surprising. And I think it spoke as much to Santorum, uh, but unfortunately for Santorum, it, it also spoke to dissatisfaction among so many Republicans with Mitt Romney, who at that time was, was sort of easing toward becoming the standard bearer for the, for the party. I, I don't think it's going to be as easy this time. There wasn't, as, a, you know, as we talked about before, Leslie, there wasn't the same um, kind of competition for that slice of the evangelical vote as there is this time. And there are for more formidable candidates. Uh, say what you will about uh, the Rand Paul or Ted Cruz or, or any of the others uh, that are running in that sort of wing out of the Senate. Uh, but they are more formidable than, than the lighter weights that ran last time for the Republicans. Michael, as a, a political correspondent and with your um, you know analysis of politics, uh, who would you pick? And I know different polls, but I'm asking you. Who would you pick if you wanted to put the toughest opponent and challenger to Hillary Clinton on that GOP platform? And I'm going to go with them, uh, picking the people that are running for president and the people that uh, are sort of flirting with running for president. Okay, that's not, yeah, not, fair not, enough. Yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I, I I think that John Kasich is a guy to watch, the governor of Ohio. Um, I think that his political organization, his ability to pick his spots for where he will come to the left a little bit. Uh, and the fact that he is from Ohio and he enjoys some popularity in a really important state for them, uh, that's the direction I would go. And, and what he's able to do, if you go Kasich-Rubio, for example, as a ticket, you cover geography, you cover youth, you cover energy, and, and you cover, and I'm not talking about energy as an issue, I'm talking about the intangible of, of, of momentum and energy. Uh, I, I think that that he would be a formidable opponent for, for Hillary Clinton. And I don't think that there are too many others that would. Jeb Bush, you can never, you know, doubt the Bush machine and organization and money and, you know, there's a lot of favors that they're able to call in. So but by virtue of the fact of name alone, he's a formidable candidate. And I think people will see that he's more substantive than his brother once they cut through a lot of a lot of their preconceived notions about him. And, and uh, you know, uh, how about the uh, easiest for her to well, you know, annihilate. The, <laughs> I think that any of the the sort of religious right favoring candidates. I think it's hard to say anything about Marco Rubio. My guess is that Marco Rubio would make a mistake, not because he's a good politician, not a good politician, but because he's new to this sort of national game. And and I think that he would be more mistake prone than the others. But I think, you know, I, I think Ted Cruz would be a great candidate for the Democrats because the more extreme a candidate becomes, the less likely it is for that candidate to have national success. Uh, I, I think the same to a degree for Rand Paul. I think that you know he, he might be a nice flavor in some places, but, but an, as an enduring presidential candidate, I don't think I think the Democrats would like to face him. So, you know, I, I think the toughest ones would be the governors. I think that that Scott Walker would end up being tough. You forget about Scott Walker, but he. He's a good politician. He's good at the politics, but you know he's got some real weak points as well. I think that that Bush and and somebody like Kasich or maybe even Walker would be the toughest for for the Democrats and and everybody else. I think they would be happy to see. Um, you know, with all of these Republicans in the field, there are various opinions as to what that says about 
and, uh, you know, the, the Republicans and, you know, obviously uh, about the Democrats. First of all, having so many, it's clear there's just not one front runner like uh, Hillary on the left. Right. And, and that's, you know, if you're a Republican, you have to be happy about that in a way. Uh, Democrats don't really have a choice this time. Uh, they had one last time. And listen, I, I don't mean to take anything from Bernie Sanders, but he's not going to be he's not going to move a lot of people uh, on the Democratic side to leave Hillary Clinton and, and the way that Barack Obama did. So uh, the Republicans have a big choice, but they have to make some decisions, too. And the, the fewer people they have, the, the, the more difficult it becomes to not cede this to uh, one major candidate. And, and so when you have a lot of people there, you can kind of see the direction that a candidate is going and say, hey, listen, uh, we, we do want the most electable person this time. We don't want to go in the direction of, of going to an extreme. And when you split the extreme, it's easier for the Republicans to go and get who they think is most electable. It worked for them last time, too. I mean, Romney lost, but you know he was the most electable of their field last time. Uh, most definitely. Let's, uh, because of time, especially go uh, right to a call on line one, Sean in Washington, D.C. Um, hey, Sean, how you doing? Uh, good afternoon. Pretty good, Leslie. Pretty good. I'm doing okay. Hey, Michael. Uh, I'm uh, actually, I used to work with Randy Rhodes. I'm a freelance media guy, so you guys know me a little bit. But, yes, uh, Sean. Uh, Sean, uh, uh, Randy Rhodes, old producer, but not that you're old, Sean. Love having you call, buddy. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, I, the, the, Michael's point about uh, being electable uh, as far as for the Republicans, it, you know, I agree in some ways, but I keep thinking, you know, with Pataki rolling out, and I've seen several other uh, folks in the media comment on this today, you would think that if Pataki wanted to be the most electable, that he wanted to go for the, the, the broadest, untouched area of Republican voters, that he would have gone to the center, that he would, you know, highlight his more centrist things. But he's chasing after the freaks on the far right as much as anybody is. So in the meantime, San Forum is, is basically trying to ignore all of his uh, uh, issues about uh, gay marriage and abortion and focus exclusively on his, you know, quote-unquote blue-collar economic stuff, which I think we all know is just a, a screen. So it, it boggles the mind. I mean, yes, it's, it's a clown car, it's a clown bus you know, on the GOP side this time. But, you know, people keep asking, why do they have so many people trying to go for it this time? Look at the latest poll. Uh, they have four, quote-unquote, frontrunners, and they're only polling 10% at best. I mean, this could be anybody's race on the GOP side. If they were smart, they would ditch the freaks and go for the center. But as Pataki is showing, obviously, they're not. They, they, they want the heat. They don't want the light, and I don't quite understand why, but... Yeah, maybe Fox makes good contracts. I don't know. <laughs> you know, my answer to that, Sean, and and I, you know, they're good points. They're very good points. I, I think Thanks. when you're Rick Santorum, you have to go in thinking that the people that care about those conservative Christian uh, issues uh, know that that exists within Rick Santorum. He has to broaden his appeal, and and similarly with with George Pataki. Now, Pataki has a trickier ride than Santorum does because so much of how he governed, and not to mention what he believes, is so out of step with the party, the Republican Party in 2015 going to 2016. So it's, it's a lot more difficult for Pataki. You can't, you know, he, he, in order to be able to be electable, you have to win your primary. 
And and that's a very tricky thing for somebody like George Pataki. It won't happen either because of that. But he, he can't go all out, uh, or, or his calculation is that he can't, uh, and still win that primary. And, and so he's got he's to say, hey, listen, you know about the George Pataki who was governor. You know the, the sort of social moderate that I am. I'm not going to talk about that. I want to tell these people who believe that I'm something else that I'm not, that I can be for them as well. Thank you for being with us. God, that went by too fast, Michael. We'll have you back soon. And thank you uh, for joining us and giving me some good laughs this afternoon. Michael oh, Shearer's. Uh, uh, good, uh, good afternoon, Michael. Thank you. Michael Shearer, political correspondent for Al Jazeera America. Um, be sure to check him out. Al Jazeera can be seen on the U.S. on Comcast Channel 107, Time Warner Cable, Dish Channel 216, DirecTV Channel 347, Verizon Files Channel 614, and AT&T UVerse Channel 1219. Their website is America. Dot aljazeera.com. On Twitter, follow Michael there at Michael Shure, that's S-H-U-R-E, and follow Al Jazeera America at A-J-A-M.